Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm Andy Wilson along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hey, Andrew. Today's guest on Music Buzz is a singer, songwriter, and guitar player who spent 10 years as the lead guitarist of Band of Horses. He has also released uh, four acclaimed solo records. His latest release is called New Lost Ages. It's out now, and it's really good, and we're going to talk about the tunes on it. Welcome to the Music Buzz, Tyler Ramsey. Hello. Thank you so much for uh, for having me on the Music Buzz. I normally start talking about uh, the new project and the new Lost Ages. I've already got I've got a favorite song, and it, I think it was maybe the one you released first as a single, Flair. I'm going to say, even though it's already been out earlier, that it's it's with Dane Clark's pick of the month. Oh uh, man, for a coolest song I've heard in a long time. Well, so let me talk a little bit. I mean, it reminds me immediately started reminding me and it doesn't really sound like it but it reminds me of expecting to fly by the buffalo springfield one of my favorite songs of all time your voice has that haunting the haunting vulnerable quality that neil had back then when he was younger i mean it's like neil young in tune um but i love the sparseness and the guitar tones and i knew neil uh when he toured with shannon mcnally Oh, okay. Uh, he with the Malacamp, they they were our opening act for I don't know at least like a three month deal or something. So I didn't get to know him real well, but we hang out, drink a couple beers, and and you know share songs and stuff. And I, but I love the song, man. Somebody swim to me. Uh, it's really beautiful. Can can you talk about it? Your relationship with him and and how this song came about. It's really great song. Yeah, I'll definitely talk about it. Thank you so much for those compliments. Uh, that's really nice to hear. Um, so I didn't know Neil that that well either. I, I did a little run of shows opening for him and his band Circles Around the Sun. Uh, it was kind of just by chance. Uh, they were coming through. I, I live just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Okay. And they were playing in town. And I think they had had somebody cancel some dates as as their opener and i had met their manager at 
at some point in the past along the way and uh just happened to bump into all those guys and in, in my favorite local uh guitar shop uh called heyday and uh they were all in there just kind of sniffing around before their show mm. and uh and the manager recognized me and we talked for a minute and then he introduced me to all the guys and then uh and then shortly after that i think they reached out somehow and, and found me and said hey do you want to open these five or six shows i can't remember how many it was but uh, and this that was the the week that was coming up. So I just jumped on. I said, yeah, I'll be there. And I went out and, and got to know Neil a little bit. And and they were just man, they were so sweet to me and uh, just, you know, sat and watched my set every night. And and they were checking in. on me. I was driving by myself and they were on their bus. So they'd check in on me on the drives and just really, really connected with with Neil and thought at some point we would you know, do some work together. I, I had fantasies of getting him to play guitar or getting him to maybe produce something or, um, but yeah, that, uh, so when that, when that, when that all went down with him, uh, it just shook me up because I, I was really like connecting with him in a way that was felt like we were real similar and our, our personalities were kind of similar, but I felt like the place we were in our careers too felt kind of similar. He was, he was just kind of post, uh, Chris Robinson brotherhood, uh, and, um, I was, you know, post band of horses and we were just kind of building these new things, you know? So, yeah. Wow. It's an awesome tribute to him, man. Yeah. Thank you. Beautiful song. Song of the month. <laughs> song thank of the you. month. Of course it's what February. You should have said the song of the year at least. <laughs> <laughs> the first three months at least. Yeah. I mean, I gotta point that out, man. <laughs> until, sp until spring, until spring at least. I've noticed that you're, and I, I make this as just an, an out, sort of an outside observation, but, and it's because I'm, I'm a big fan of it myself, but you seem very comfortable with the beauty of melancholy in the way you write and the way you, the way you structure your music. Um, I, I just happened across the live thing you did at Pace Studios in Austin, where you had that long guitar opening uh, for Darkest Cloud. Oh, the, yeah. And when I was listening to the guitar playing, I was, hearing so, some stills but i was definitely hearing uh bruce coburn you know uh, from, oh, wow yeah yeah lovely sort of picking style that you have yeah but really really lovely um and your lyrics too i mean when i stumbled across and i believe everything uh could hear it if you just lean in yeah you know, that, uh, I, I love well spoke you know well well written lyrics and that seems to be something you're you're, you're consistently good at I appreciate that. Yeah, melancholy music is something that I, you know, have always just kind of like gravitated towards and it, and it feels right for me. I mean, I don't know. I, it's not something I try to force or anything. It's just where I'm at a lot of yeah. the time. And it's uh, not about it's not about being woeful or sad. I yeah. I I, th I mean, look at Peter Gabriel. I mean, he's he's the prince of melancholy, you know, he does it well. Yeah. And you know, and I think there's there's a lot of beauty in it. Like I say, there's a lot of beauty in that approach to uh song structure and 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 harmonies and yeah thank you and the and the guitar style yeah i i love every time i hear bruce coburn i love mm. what i'm hearing i i he's one of those people that i've yet to like dive into the catalog but i swear like just yesterday he popped up somewhere like i heard a song or something and i was like his Man. new record his last record has got a song called orders yeah which is one of the coolest songs i've heard in a long time that'll be <laughs> But that was that one 
song of the month of waste back. Okay. So, <laughs> but you, that's one that everybody should check out too. It's really, it's about scripture too. You know, order said to love them all. And it goes through the list of people that you want to hate. And I don't know. It's very interesting, but the whole thing is that finger picking that he's got. Well, yeah. Check, you know, check out all his pre Bruce Coburn band material. The stuff like high winds, white skies is a, a brilliant yeah. album. High winds, white sky. Even that song alone is gorgeous. Um, I'm, ri I'm writing these down as you say. Yeah. That. <laughs> and, and his first, his first solo and his first album produced by Gene Martinek, um, just Bruce Coburn was a lovely, you know, uh, going to the country was a great song. Um, but I used to watch him at the riverboat before that whole part of Toronto was gentrified. It was really a street full of houses where you'd go to buy hash. Basically, it was a cool, yeah. it, it was a cool street in Toronto. But yeah. it had a co coffee house called the Riverboat where Joni Mitchell and and uh, Murray McLaughlin and, and th those people would play. But I would watch him. I'd be sitting six feet away from him listening and watching him play. And he was a Berkeley, Berkeley guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And he, and he also busked in Paris, and was, which is where he says he got a lot of his chops together because he was playing every day. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Two more songs if you want to. Fascist architecture and laughter, Bruce. Is that okay. on a new album? Classics. That's old stuff from the seventies. Okay, They're just great tunes. I'm just gonna have to dive into the whole. Uh, <laughs> the whole but those are great. But you'll right. see what I'm talking about. When I heard you playing, I I could have sworn you were a fan because when I listened to your your playing on Darkest Cloud, I thought, oh, this guy's a Bruce Coburn fan, clearly. And yeah. That's yeah. You got, you, I, every time I hear it, I, I do connect to it, but I, I never have really explored it that much. I, I my my love for the guitar is definitely based on finger style guitar. I, I just always loved that, and I listened early on. I, I was listening to like you know uh, all kinds of things, like people that composed for the acoustic guitar specifically. I, I would. Mm. I would get into like Leo Kaki. I'm a big fan oh, yeah. of. Oh, sure. I'm a big fan of Michael Hedges. I'm a huge fan of oh. his his work sure. and just like I I was a kind of a even like delved into the whole new age world for a little while just because that the earlier stuff that was kind of like it had like this folk quality, yeah. or this Americana kind of quality to it, but it was like these beautiful compositions and it's one person with an acoustic guitar just making this whole world happened yeah. and I, I loved it. And that's kind of what I've, uh, kind of what I've kind of pursued over the years is just, just the ability to take a guitar and try and make it, you know, stand on its own, uh, without any, yeah. without much accompaniment. Well, well there was did, a time, there was a time, when, there was a time when people like Loggins and Messina, Seals and Crofts and all those people would, would sort of command a stage with nothing more than just mandolin. Well, and even before that, how about yeah. Donovan, who had that oh, yeah. finger-picking style that he showed John Lennon yep. when they were in India, which right. he used on all the songs on the White Album and thereafter, was right. Don Donovan's finger-picking. Go back and listen to uh, Gift from a Flower to a Garden. There's a whole children's record. It's half the record is children's songs, and it's just him and his guitar. Really? It's, fanta it's fantastic. I saw the, all those those British uh, like Bert Yanch and John Renborn. Yeah, those guys those are guys. fabulous. Way into that stuff too. Yeah. Are you a John Martin fan? I am a John Martin fan. Yeah, definitely. He's pretty, he's pretty amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, Roy Harper. I'm huge. Roy Harper. Oh, Roy Harper. Yeah, yeah. Hats off too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I listened to the new record over the weekend. It's fantastic. These ghosts, obviously, is the first song. Great first song. Cool riff on that too, man. Because it's like a deceiving of okay. Oh, yeah, it goes over the bar line. That's actually kind of based on because I'm also a fan of like kind of Indian classical music, and I. There's a mandolin player named U. Srinivas. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right at all, but um, he's he's passed away. But uh, if you go back, if you go listen to his, I think even uh, what Peter Gabriel's label, the world kind of world label that he had, the world whatever, yeah, I can't remember what it was, but he, he, they put a record out of his on that, and it was just the first one I found. And I just fell in love with that kind of like style. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff, and and that. Uh, for a long time, I just and still am obsessed with that music. Um, but that that intro uh, is kind of a play on on that uh, on that style. It's just like me kind of noodling around on the guitar, and and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, and and it kind of loop, yeah, like it loops around, but it's like a, it makes it an odd bar. It's very yeah. cool. Yeah. Drummers drummers love that kind of stuff. Man. It's like <laughs> okay, I know what you're doing. Yeah. I also I also like the. Awesome. Uh, the uh, won't get fooled again style B three the kind of the the eighth note. Um, oh, the, is it the? the, 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 the yeah, just yeah. It's, it's lovely. It's, it reminds me won't get fooled again and that rabbit part that you know it's got that nice sort of lilt and tension. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was some studio magic at the kind of towards the end where I was like building that part and we put in that percussion. Yeah. Kind of carries it a little bit. Where where is where's the where was the new record made? I went out to so I reached out to Phil Eck, who you know produced a lot of the sub pop records that are just legendary albums, and um, you know uh, did like the Shins and the Fleet Foxes and Built a Spill, Modest Mouse, all those things. Um, so I, I he and I had bumped into each other again after years and years he saw me walking down the street in seattle i was playing the show and uh he texted me are you in seattle and and he came by after the show and we talked and you know started the planted the seed that we were going to do a record together and um and after a lot of uh work <laughs> and me figuring out how i was gonna pay for the record we were we decided to work together and he yeah he wanted to do out there in seattle so we did it at some of the studios out there that he's that he's worked in a lot over the years avast and uh, uh stone gossard's studio out there and um so yeah that was uh a couple of yeah about a month all told but in a couple different sessions we we got it all done out there how about the players on the record can you talk a little bit about who's on the record yeah um Morgan Henderson is a plays bass and he he plays in um Fleet Foxes, but he's not the bass player in the band. He's 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 side stage, he does he's like a multi-instrumentalist, but bass is his main instrument. Um so he he was the bass player. Um Sean Lane, who's playing with Heart right now, uh was the drummer. And he I guess he has worked with Phil a lot over the years. He was kind of like maybe even started out kind of just drum teching in the studio for Phil. And then, um, but man, those guys together were just a force. I was, uh, it was kind of coming out of the, 
the, the shutdown times when I hadn't really gotten to play with many people in a while and uh, to walk in the room and have those guys in there and just be like, man, this is good. And it made me a little nervous too to, to come out of my kind of hibernation into, into that world of uh, just stellar musicians uh, was really cool. And then um, once we got all that done, I did a lot of the work myself, just Phil and I and, and the engineer. Um, and then we, uh, I reached out to my friend Carl Bramel, who plays in My Morning Jacket. Oh, yeah. He's, so he's from Carl. Indiana. Yeah. I've, I've played sessions with Carl. Yeah. yeah. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. Carl and I are buddies, and we, we do some work together. We've done some tours together where we play the whole night on stage together. We'll just play each other's songs back and forth and wow. sing harmony. Tell, tell him Dane said hello when you talked to him. I, I haven't will, seen for him sure. probably for... It's probably been 10 years or... Oh, really? It was session in Bloomington for yeah, Mike well, Watchett. Yeah. He was in Old Pike. Remember that band, Old Pike? He was in Old yeah. Pike, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, totally. o- they opened that yeah. Mellencamp show, the New Year's Eve show in 99 that right. I worked on and you played at uh, at the Fieldhouse yeah. when we That's were all right. worried about Y2K and the whole world blowing up. I remember, remember, oh, yeah. I remember well. <laughs> we're yeah. still here. We're what's all his, still here. What's <laughs> his instrument? He's guitar. the guitarist. Guitar. He's like the lead guitar player, or like you know, they have multiple. You know, him and Jim James okay. play lead guitars, but I see, yeah. Uh, but he also plays uh, pedal steel really well. He's a saxophone player. He's a he's a fantastic singer and songwriter. Um, he's a good musician. Yeah, he, yeah. He's he's all around, and he's you know doing a lot of you know kind of producing at his at his studio in Nashville now too. So he's he's kind of doing it all, but. Um, so he and I had done some tours together like that as duo and and kind of worked on some instrumental. We were sending stuff back during the pandemic, back and forth, like instrumental guitar pieces and like adding things. Uh, so we're kind of still working on that project. But but, yeah, I reached out to him and went over to his place and did some some work. I had him play like a guitar solo. There's a there's a song called You Should Come Over or something like that on there. He did the solo on that and he played some really beautiful pedal steel parts and uh sang a little bit of harmonies and yeah so he he played on it there's a guy named scott moore who is an incredible uh violin player and arranger and he played on my last record he used to live in louisville and now he's up in the northeast but he i sent him the songs and he sent back these gorgeous like string arrangements Uh, so there's there's two or three songs on the record that have uh, string parts, and that's all Scott. Um, and then Russ, Russ Paul played pedal steel on one song. You know Russ oh, Paul? From I National. do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he played on one song. He played on that song, Where Were You? Um, oh, that was that was one I was going to ask about. That's a good That's a good. Oh, idea. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's about it, I think. I'm, I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. Um, I think that's that's the list. What do you want to know about where were you? I just like the sound of it. I mean, it just kind of stuck out. You know, like I said, I listened to the the record a few times over the weekend. I just really like the sound of that song. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the origins of that one? That one, um, <clears throat> there's a little part in that that kind of is telling about the whole record, actually, because I, I wrote a lot of the record. I live out in the country, um, outside of Asheville, kind of kind of near, we're close to the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um sorry and there's a like a there's a mountain called mount pisgah that we're kind of really at the foot of um but i wrote a lot of the music in this cabin that's like right around my my 
friends own this cabin around, you know, about a couple miles down the road from us. And uh, during the pandemic, they were letting me <clears throat> use it to write in uh, and just gifting it to me because, it, you know, I'm home slowly going broke, <laughs> you know, not able to do what I do and had to cut my last album cycle short and everything. So they were super generous in, in allowing me to use this space. And so that part of that song is talking about that. Uh, there's a place that I go uh, over the hills and up a gravel road. It's like, you know, right around the corner from my house. But uh, some of that song I'd had for a while, there was a couple of lines that I carried around for a long time. And then it all just kind of came together when I went up to that cabin and got a little bit of a, a little bit of space and was able to kind of get my head together to to do some writing. Um, I, I have a couple kids and a wife and two dogs and two cats and a bunch of chickens and say no more, say no more. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you got to get away. Yeah. Nice <laughs> I, I, was, yeah. I was about to say the room you're in looks conducive to writing, but then I was thinking, I'll bet he's got a wife and kids. <laughs> but, yeah. But I mean, I, the, the problem is I, this room is conducive to writing. It's, it's right down the hill from my house. When I moved out of this house, it was a smaller house than we were in before. So we, so I had to find, I built this place to put musical equipment in, but as I'm looking out the window, I'm looking right at my house. And uh, and when I'm here, I just want to go up and hang out with them. That's the that's the problem. Like, I'd rather, you know, a lot of times I'm just like, well, I wonder what they're doing. <laughs> what's my what's my adorable? What are my adorable children up to right now? I'd rather you know go play with them. And so it, it helps to get a little space. But it was nice to be so close to the house in case they needed me because it was kind of really and still is a, kind of a messed up time. And like, I didn't want to be far away from them. You know? Understandable. But, and, but even being a couple miles away, you can at least get into a thing easier. I can, I can understand that other than looking at your back door from where you're at. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Randy, Did you actually build that yourself? I mean, a friend of mine I, and I built this. Yeah. Me and me and one other friend who I've known forever, uh, He's How about a, that? He's a he's also a builder, and we we did a we did this over the period of a summer, and it was the first time I'd ever built a building from the ground up. So I'm I'm really proud of it. And That's it, awesome, man. Yeah, it's, it's like sixteen by twenty, just you know enough room to overpack it with stuff and have people. You know, I can fit a band in here and practice. And I have a dulcimer almost like that one you've got hanging there. Oh, you yeah, got a little, little lap dulcimer that my aunt gave to me. Yeah. yeah. I've got one very similar to that. And room for a grand piano, too. Room for a grand piano. That's actually the grand piano uh, I had at my old house. Uh, and when we moved, I was like, I don't have anywhere to put this, and I don't want to get rid of it because I love it. And uh, so the, I luckily we sold that other house to someone that I knew, and he was a musician. Said, hey, do you want to hold on to this for a while? So he kept it until I got this place built. And then that was the first thing that came in here was that grand that piano over there. How long, how long did he keep it? It took a while. It took me a while. I think <laughs> Longer he than he couple, wanted to. A couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But he, he yeah. loved it. He had, he had fun with it. He's a, he teaches guitar and, and I, I think he was playing it a lot too. So. Sure. So you mentioned wanting to be with your family stuff. So you were in band of horses for how long? Like 10 years? 10 years. Like yep. Wow. So how was that being in a band like that that was so busy and touring and being away and you know what, what was that whole experience like? Um, it was really fun 
you know, when it started out, it was, I, I was just, um, still just dating my wife and, um, and we're good at, we are good at living our separate lives if we need to and being apart from each other. Um, so it worked out really well and it was wild. I, you know, I jumped into something that, um, that I never expected or even like even really dreamt of or hoped for in my career. It wasn't like, I I didn't sit around thinking, I want to be in a rock, you know, in like a indie rock band, (laughs) you know, it was just kind of something that, that happened. Um, and it was a blast and we were all wild and, you know, I was the oldest one in that band the whole time. So it was kind of like, I was coming in and just trying to keep up with those guys. But, um, but then after my daughter was born, um, it, it changed real quickly and I, you know, priorities changed and I, I would realize kind of like, I I don't know. I mean, it just, it didn't, it didn't feel good to get on an airplane and leave for a month, you know? And, and plus when you're, when you're in a band that's, that's rolling like that with five other guys or four other guys, uh, sometimes five you can't really say no to gigs you know you gotta like you're not gonna say uh, you're not gonna be the one that's like i'm gonna keep you guys from working you know so i was i was always saying yes to everything like everyone else was we're just gonna we're gonna keep the ball rolling and like do as much as we can and that was fine but it it just got a little bit uh yeah it got a little much i i I didn't want to leave my family for a month at a time and and come back and my daughter's like done all these amazing things and i wasn't around for him and says the guy who can't even look at the back door of his house <laughs> without walk without going up to see what they're doing well i understand I, I understand that even you know reading about other writers that i really enjoy like randy newman absolutely had to unplug and sequester himself to accomplish what he did yeah well, I think I think it brings an important point. It's like, you know, the industry has changed, as we all know. It's gone from, you know, the focus of selling records to where all the money now is made on the road. And Dane can attest to this. He's getting ready to, you know, roll up his sleeves and hit the road with John again. Yeah, we did great. 77 shows in five and a half months last year. My kids are all grown, though. Yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, still, that's exhausting work. Yeah, that's it's hard for a guy that's almost 65, that's for sure. Yeah, I thought you were almost 80 at uh, 65. Okay. I just um, like but um <laughs> actually I looked 45, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, but all jokes aside, I mean, I can completely appreciate that. And most people don't think I of it that too, way man. because they think of the glitz and glamour and all the things that you think are associated with it. And it's like, well, yes. Get a clue. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but and the important part is the butt part, because there's all kinds of, you know, factors uh, that weigh into um, that decision. The performing is always wonderful, right? It's just the other 23 hours of the day that that are little, that little tiny window of time where you, where everything else just drips away. And that's, that's what you're there for. And that somehow makes up for all the rest of it for a long time. It'll, it can carry all the rest of that stuff. Now, how did you become a member of band of horses at the time? Because they had already had a few records out. I, I, I don't think I know that story. Um, so they had had, they had put one record out and then okay. they had finished recording, um, the second record and, and I was working on my second solo record called a long dream about swimming across the sea. Um, and the same studio where they were working on cease to begin, which is their second record. So 
we crossed paths in the hallway. Like, I think I was, I was leaving and they were coming in to do a session and I finished up a session. And then when they were finishing up that session, I was coming back in to maybe wrap up my record or whatever. So, uh, me and my friend, Bill Reynolds, who ended up being the bass player in that band, we were both just Asheville guys that were, had been doing a lot of different stuff, but, um, he ended up kind of like hooking up with them and, uh, starting to play. And then shortly after that, I just, I had driven him to, uh, to Charleston to, to rehearse with those guys. And then just got asked to play guitar. I think I, I, they had some shows coming up where their guitarist couldn't, couldn't make it. And I was like, I'll, I'll fill in if you want, you know, I can try. And then, uh, the conversation just turned to like, do you want to play guitar in the band? And I was like, uh, let me think about it for a minute. <laughs> Called my wife. I was like, I don't know. I was getting ready to put that record out, uh, that I was really proud of. So I, I didn't know if it was the best move at the time, but mm-hmm. it turned out to be a great ride. It was fun. You know, we had, a, we had a good time for 10 years and yeah, you know, what was your solo record at that moment? What, what was that solo record? Uh, my solo record was called A Long Dream About Swimming Across the Sea. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, and I joined them right before Cease to Begin was released. So I, so both of, our, both of those records kind of came out around the same time, and I was able to kind of open some shows and, you know, get my music out a little bit, but not quite as much as I probably should have, you know. Um, but it was it was great. It was a great opportunity, and you know, it was it was fun while while it was. And then, you know, bands are hard to keep. It's hard to keep communication open with five guys, and you know, stay. You know, stay. I don't know. Stay focused and stay friends, and things start to get messed up after a while, and and that's just kind of how it all went down, and then. Now, well, you wrote some really great songs with them. Co-wrote some really great songs with them while you were in the band. Yeah, thank uh, you. I mean, I, Dilly is still one that I listened to uh, driving yesterday with my boys, and and uh, it's great. There's nothing else like that song. I mean, so but where did the where the hell did the name of the the, the title come from? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I just I just drove past there the other day. I um, I wrote that song. This is bad. I wrote that song in Dillsboro, North Carolina. <laughs> Okay. Ah, so it's called well, Dilly. Okay. <laughs> and that was just that was just my uh I think I was using GarageBand and I think I typed in just to to document whatever something when I recorded the demo or whatever, I just typed in Dilly. Okay. When I sent out to to them, it was like it was called Dilly and then it just stayed that way. Well, okay. so it's not it's not about the good humor ice cream bar. No, no, no. no. <laughs> We used to have the Dilly Man drive around. That was yeah, Dilly album. Bars. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. Dilly oh, yeah. Bars. Okay, wow. man, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, no, it well, was, you, you it have was, to be my yeah. age to understand. Yeah. That. It yeah. was happened uh, that I stayed out in Dillsboro on a river, and I wrote a few songs there, and that makes sense. That was one of them. Yeah, shut in tourists. So you didn't Dilly Dally. You went ahead and got that song written. Oh, That's right. Man. That's sure. but you know, hey, <laughs> sorry. Dad joke of the day. There you go. That's uh, right. That's right. Uh, or maybe the month. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Shut in tourists. That's another one that I, uh, I really like as well. I think it's great. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of am trying to remember what that even sounded like, but I think that was on <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah. a good one. That's I listened to that one again uh, just over the weekend. Yeah, I wrote a couple. It, 
couple that were just me uh, on that first record I did with them was Infinite Arms, and we we uh, we used a song of mine called Evening Kitchen, which was kind of the first time that we done anything that was just I, I really wanted it to be like I never wanted to push that band in any direction I wanted to kind of like go with the vision of what Ben had in mind for that band and but that song I, I was like oh we should just do it like one acoustic guitar and two vocals so that was the first time that band really like it, there was like a real big breath in, the, in that moment I mean there was some beautiful music on all the all the records but like that you know um and a lot of it has a lot of space but to go just straight acoustic guitar and two vocals that was kind of kind of a new thing and it was it was really that was a fun one i still play that i ended up redoing it with a full band on the last record i put out and called it evening country it's got like pedal steel it's got russ paul playing pedal steel and oh cool uh, yeah some cool stuff on it have to check that out well, the one one song back to the new record that stuck out to me, and, and you know, obviously Dane has to play a uh, Mellencamp Small Town uh, most nights when oh, you're on yeah. the road. Yeah, oh, I don't uh, think we ever not play that one. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but we were a small town. When I saw that, obviously, I immediately thought of you know what small town is. You know, that's what always yeah. comes to mind is John's song. So <laughs> that's a good one, though. I mean, talk talk about that one. Yeah, I mean, it's really uh, it's like a it's kind of a tribute to this town you know which is Asheville but I, um and that that feeling that everyone has where they're like there's there's a period of time that you have in a town that it just seems like oh that was the magic time or you know it could be now like you could be like in love with wherever you're living but that for me there was a window of time in Asheville where like me and all my friends were living in random crappy uh loft apartments and like paying cheap rent and when it was cheap downtown and like we could all still afford it and there was just this magic in the air like we were all playing at the same club and i met my wife at that club and um you know all so i wanted i wanted to kind of like write about that and then it, a lot of it's about my family and and some of the difficulties that we you know weathered over the past few years and just things like that so it, it, i tried to like make it a love song about about my town and a certain time and a love song about my family and and that's kind of what that song is yeah it's a good tune really yeah. good so really i've got good. a question about Asheville. i mean i've been there quite a few times i actually play and i've i've been there with i was there with the ghost brother i don't think Mellencamp's ever played there but I've been there. I played a theater or something when I did the Stephen King play that he and John did. But I also played it with the guy that I produced a record for about 12 years ago or so in a pizza place there that has live entertainment. It's a great big pizza parlor that's got an outdoor area. Mm, I'm trying to think of what that would be. It could be a uh, mellow mushroom. Is it one there? <laughs> I don't know. There's a place they, I mean, do they have, I mean, it was a full band. It was like a eight piece band. So there was a pretty big stage. Barley's I don't town. know. There was a Barley's pizza place that had bands. I don't uh, know. How long ago they, was it? I was, it was at least 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, something like that. Yeah, man. That's and, I can't, keep I just up. wondered if it was still, yeah, it's probably changed. And then is the Moog, is the Moog place still there? They have like a cool little, uh, 
museum now in in town it's really small but it's like you know a museum dedicated to bob mook and and then they have the factory is still it's real right outside of it's on the other side of the highway from downtown and yeah um so they're doing all that stuff yeah and they're still still there there. i used to go see bob i i I knew i knew him while he was still alive i didn't know him well wow yeah when he was running that place it was like this really small little office space like down the river road like out kind of near it it was just like way off the map and it and it was really cool there were like maybe six people in there and he'd be in the back just messing with stuff tinkering around and got to go in there a few times i used to take bands that would come through town i'd be like you got to go check out check out moog and and go in there and check out what they're doing and i'd bring people in there but yeah he was he was always really really cool and sweet um so his his legacy lives on in this town. It's a neat town for anybody that's not been there. Asheville's like, I don't know. It's kind of it reminds me of Bloomington, but except it's even hipper than that. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, it's just a cool. I don't know. Vibe. Yeah, it's a good it's a good spot. It's it's definitely like me trying to find figure out which pizza place. I'm like, I don't know. Especially if you got, probably uh, yeah. you're like, I played at a brewery. I'd be like, man, that's your guess is mine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it might have been. I can't remember. <laughs> John Paul does John Paul Jones still live around there somewhere? Oh, what? I uh, I know that he was. He's all, he he lived there for years. I didn't I know he maybe he's still there. I knew he was like playing with people, and he'd show up at like Merle Fest and do all that stuff, but I didn't know he was living around here. I, I thought he had a place. I, I in, wouldn't be surprised. Around there somewhere. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. John Paul Jones as in Led Zeppelin, John Paul Jones. Yeah. Yeah. There's no other. No, I, I'm just asking. I spent a day with him one time. It was wow. pretty awesome. I had to pick him up for an interview, yes. a radio interview. And um, his manager at the time, I forget the guy's name was sick because he was supposed to come with us. So I go to pick him up at the hotel, take him the radio interview. And uh, he's like, I can't make it. I'm sick. So it's just you and John. I said, okay. So we go do the interviews and I'm thinking he's going to want to bust it back downtown because he hardly talked on the way to the radio station. And after we're leaving, he goes, I'm kind of hungry. You want to go get something to eat? I'm like, sure. I'm thinking fast food. He goes, oh, no, no, let's go to a sit down place. So we go to the sit down place, this restaurant close to where my wife and I lived at the time. We used to go there all the time. So the, the bartender and the owner knew who I was, knew what I did. There was one other guy in there sitting in the corner drinking coffee. Me and John Paul sit down. He comes up, he he case our order and hears the British accent. I get up to go to the men's room and he corners me. He goes, hey man, who is that? I said, it's John Paul Jones from, from Led Zeppelin. He goes, really? And I go, yeah. Goes, oh, man, that's so cool. So I go and sit down, brings us our lunch. Pretty soon after the beginnings of Black Dog, come cranking. <laughs> <laughs> of course, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I look at John Paul, he looks at me and smiles. He said, it's okay. It happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's incredible. That's my That's story. great. Yeah. He's, a ta- he's a talented boy. Yeah. Boy. So, you, no so you were born in Cincinnati, right? Do you have any other Cincinnati? Uh, did you, like, how long did you grow up in Cincinnati or just No, born I, was, I was there. I think we left when I was around four years old oh, okay yeah i still gotcha. have, i mean i still like there's still a place in my heart for cincinnati even okay. though i didn't really get to live there very long but i you know i've got i've got a couple friends that that live there and play in you band. seem more like an Asheville guy than a cincinnati guy no offense but no offense yeah. to cincinnati i, mean, I thought about it there was a, a point where i was like i wonder if cincinnati because cincinnati's still like it's seems cool to be affordable at least it was a few years ago but yeah yeah, yeah. But absolutely 
Yeah, absolutely. You're talking to someone who moved from Toronto down to to uh, <laughs> to this state here, and I, I speaking the of affordable. Well, yeah, but I ended up building a lovely house here for the price of a driveway in Toronto. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Where are you now? I'm in Newcastle. I'm 30 miles east of Indianapolis. So I'm about 20 minutes away from Dane. And then Andy's about 40 minutes away from me, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Now we're close. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm curious to know how invested you are, um, only because I, I design album covers and I've been an illustrator in, in this business for 50 plus years. Your work is in, your work is incredible, by the way, man. I, I Thank you. was doing Thank my you. doing my research and I, I was like, oh, man. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah. You, that's a very much that's a very neglected website, but thank you. I haven't <laughs> I haven't delved in there for two years. There's a lot of new stuff, but yeah, thank you. Um, but I, I I care about how the visual speaks to the you know the I won't say the consumer, but when you go into a record store, I come from an era where the front racked albums would speak to you. Go, oh, I never heard of that band, but I love the cover, and that would make you consider buying it. How invested are you in your own? visuals when it comes to you know when it, when i look at found a picture of you i love the butterflies and the wallpaper it's a great yeah. a very beautiful little image um i even like you know things are great you know it, going back to um you know band of horses oh yeah i, I love i love the the uh the irony of of that image because i've been, i've been a huge fan of twin peaks and that kind of that that cd that creepy underbelly of seemingly benign suburbia right, you know? right. <clears throat> so i'm curious to know how invested you are in coming up with all these images i am extremely invested in it i i i feel like it's a really really important part of of making an album i think it's just it's just hand in hand with with name yeah. songs or like it's you know it's to me i, I want it to connect with the content of the album so it really like it's hard for me a lot of times to like decide on the images uh, eventually they kind of come about and uh and really like when i realize that they make sense then it then it's you know go time and i'll i'll pursue you know get get with someone that actually knows how to do how to make like this whatever vision in my head right you know, well, real, but you come from a time when you know 12 by 12 was the album cover and that that was all there was mm. and a lot of people sort of mistakenly say well with with streaming now you get that two two inch square image in the bottom left corner of itunes or imusic or spotify but then there's the whole mindset now that every song warrants an image so looking yeah. at peter gabriel's last release there's new artwork for every song he releases so that's for me that's the gift that keeps on giving it's an opportunity to so well, that's a great title. I wonder how I would treat that visually. Right. Oh, and there's, and there's 10 of these. Oh, great. <laughs> so I yeah. guess I, I get me, to me, I start to get overwhelmed at that point because I'm like, it's hard enough to like come up with the, to settle on the album cover and, and know that it's kind of represent this, this Andy, body of give, work. But. Give Tyler my phone number. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Definitely. Oh man, I would love. I would, that. <laughs> I would love to. I would absolutely love to work with you. Yeah. Oh man, that would be fantastic. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I I'm so into to representing uh, music with the visual side. I, I think it's such a. It just connects it in a way. I mean that. Yeah, that uh, is hard to even explain. But once I settle on an album cover and then I see it 
come to life under the hands of somebody that knows more about that kind of thing than I do. Well, don't be unsettled by the fact that a lot of my clients are people like Megadeth, Iron Maiden, and Russian. (laughs) I have always been a huge fan, probably a greater fan of of people like Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt. You know, not that I've received calls from any of those people, Mm -hmm. but that's where my heart lies musically, you know. And Yeah, yeah. I've had to talk a few kind of organic musicians, uh, folk type, type musicians off the ledge when they were introduced to me. But you do that rock stuff, you know, you do. Yeah. That. So I have, I have to kind of say, I may do that, but, you know. Yeah, you can you can do other things. Yeah. He's not a one trick boat pony in a band of forces. Come on. Now. <laughs> hey, hey. So, uh, that's two that's two of them. number two. <laughs> Can't wait for the third. Hey, oh, uh, it's it's brewing. It'll pop. It'll come it's forth brewing. here. <laughs> well, you, so what's the plans for the new record? You got to tour behind it all year? Or I'm going to do my radically. Best. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, uh, I've got, it's just starting to get real busy. Um, I was down here in this room kind of looking at my calendar and starting to realize that I was getting behind and all the things that I need to do and realizing that, yeah, that the, the, you know, um, the schedule is very full and, uh, yeah, it's, it's lots of touring coming up. I've got, you know, about a month of touring, uh, right off the bat. And then, um, with a break in between. So I come home and see my, see my family without being gone for too long. But uh, and then we're going to try and fill up the summer looking for, you know, hoping to maybe connect with somebody that's doing bigger shows and do some opening acts, you know, John Cougar Mellencamp, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, people um, like that. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, just get an out, idea, get out, play for more people and, and then do, get some festivals and a couple trips to Europe in the works. Uh, nice. You know, so, yeah, I, I you know, uh, want to do everything I can because there, you know, I, there was a long pause in my career yes. for the, yeah. the last few years. So it's, it's nice to, uh, so who is we, when you say we're going to be on tour, who, how big an outfit are you, how big a, a, a band? Depending on what I can do, what I can, you know, kind of sensibly make happen. I, I, you know, I'm either going to go out as a, I, I love doing solo shows. I I'm, that's something that I've kind of honed over the years so I can go out and do solo shows and and not leave people really wanting too much because the songs are kind of designed to live in that world like clearly yeah sure yeah sure but uh but I also you know I I plan on going out as a duo with my my friend that plays pedal steel and guitar and sings harmonies and then um my full band is going to get worked out as well so uh, uh I'm going to as soon as I get some some dates lined up with them, it'll be, you know, bass drums, my pedal steel guitar guy, and I've, I have this new friend that's playing um, vibraphone and keyboards oh, and nice. a rhythm guitar too. So that that adds a whole new kind of beautiful element to the show. So we've yeah we've got a we've got a cool band. You know, we just need a we need the the proper uh, place to take it to and and play. So. When did you do that Pace Studio Austin back porch thing? <laughs> oh yeah, so I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, that was so that was South by Southwest in 2019, I guess. Oh, fairly mm-hmm. recently, yeah. Like, yeah. Because when you say honing your your solo kind of acoustic skills, 
I was going to say, well, if you if you told me you did that in 2000, 2013, I would say, oh, my God, you were that good then. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been I mean, I've been I, I always want my songs to live on uh, on a guitar and a vocal like I, I want I want to be able to go play them for people and just play them by myself. And they're and they're like, oh, that's that's a that's a good song right there. Yeah. You know, that's yep. that's my that's goal. When- I'm writing. I and. And the two, you know, the guitar and the vocals uh, interacting with each other in an interesting way, and and you know the the finger style stuff adds to the ability to to make that an interesting show. And uh, yeah, that's, it also adds to the complexity of pulling it off too, being able to separate mm. the two. I've always admired. That's going back to Bruce Coburn, for example. Who's the first artist that you paid to see in concert that you really wanted to yeah. see that you were excited about? Oh, the first one I paid to see. There's, I mean, there's some wild picks I could pick from high school, but I, I'll think about like maybe, I mean, I used to go see Michael Hedges when he was still playing shows and I, I got to see Leo Kaki a bunch of times. And those guys, like, you know, every time they would come through town, I would I would choose to go pay money to go see them. And that, I, I'll, I'll lead into a little tiny short thing about Leo Kaki is that my vision of what I do as a as a musician and and what I expect out of what I what I've been putting into it is fully based on um, seeing Leo Kaki pull up to a venue in Asheville that used to be here called Be Here Now, and he pulled up in a rental car with two acoustic guitars in the trunk. He went got out, popped his trunk, grabbed his guitars, went in to the club, and it was you know it was a sold out, reasonably sized you know pretty small listening room, but um, just blew everyone's minds and then walks, on, walks out by himself, puts his guitars back in the trunk and off to the next show. And to me, that was when I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. So when I got to do all the band of horses stuff and the, and the big traveling and like buses and trucks and, you know, uh, it just, it, it blew my mind. Cause I, I never really expected all that stuff. And, and I still, I still really don't, I still like, I like I like the idea of uh, traveling light and and being able to interact with audiences and have like this really cool experience that you know is is really kind of like just treading lightly on the on the earth. Well, that's the nature of an acoustic acoustic guitar. They're beautifully portable. Just be glad. Just be glad you're not a keyboard player. <laughs> I, I I'm a keyboard player too, but B <laughs> three no, player in. I, in this Wurlitzer, this Wurlitzer <laughs> gets lugged around a lot. I I bring this Wurlitzer uh, out to shows these days. So that's that's about the heaviest piece of gear. That's I, heavy. That's heavy enough. Yeah. Those whirlies are those whirlies aren't light. That's okay. Sure. When I say keyboard player, I'm thinking back of the days when you actually did have a Mellotron, a Mellotron, a Fender Road suitcase, yeah. CP70, a Oberheim synthesizer, Prophet Five. Someone someone has to lift you into the center of all your keyboards and pretty yeah. much and, and, <laughs> yeah. and lift you out. So you're are you a trained piano player? That's how I got started. Actually, as a um, as a Good. kid, I just would. I think I ended up with a little keyboard, and and then my parents got me lessons with a with a jazz teacher when I was probably like nine, nine or ten. So I learned to like use my ear a lot and and uh solo around and improvise and and that's kind of what got me excited about music was that idea of 
being able to express yourself and improvise and, and use your ear too. And you learn how to read? I my reading is very limited. I, I wouldn't even say I know how. I, I can read charts and stuff a little bit, okay. but uh, but most of what I do is based on um, trial and error and and using sure. my ear and and just kind of coming up with that. Yeah, you're lu- you're lucky. Your parents understood, um, or at least hooked you up with a piano teacher that took you away from just playing the conservatory fly shit on the page. And, you know, and, and that's good learning to read, which is something I did. And I played for, I st- studied for eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during that period of time, my father would always just say, play for me. And I'd go to get some sheet music out. And he said, no, 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 just play. I've heard you playing on your own. And sure enough, that was an introduction to the responsibility of, of noodling with someone listening, you know? Yeah. It's one thing to noodle and to work out ideas on your own in private, but it's quite another thing for someone to say, play for me, noodle constructively and entertaining. Yeah, you know? I think it was such a blessing to have, yeah, to have not only parents that that put me in the right place, but to have a teacher that recognized that I, I had a decent ear and, and worked with, with that and and to not be thrust into that rigid environment because I, I, I feel like, I wouldn't have continued music if I wasn't able to have fun with it and 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 just kind of explore and and yeah it was it was way more exciting to just to find my way around and be able to you know do what I wanted to do and uh, I'm sure it doesn't work for everybody but for me it kept me interested and made me want to uh, continue and I kind of carried that into what I did on the guitar as well just kind of like right. finding my way around and doing a lot of open tunings and things like that. So well it took years for for um keyboards or piano to even become recognized or cool because you know in the 60s it was all about playing guitar. You mm. know and, and then you realize wait George Martin played that. You know and well, who's this guy Elton John, you know, and who's you know Mac Rebenek and all these guys started coming out and making keyboards hip and cool. So it was yeah. great. Reasonably hip and cool. Well, I was gonna say reasonably, yeah. yeah let's come let's, on let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Not get too crazy with it. I was picking on the, <laughs> the elder here. No, uh, the gray-haired yeah. guy, as uh, Ace Frehley says. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, needs, he needs to get his monitor adjusted. <laughs> That's right. I can tell that pissed you off, and he said, that. "I know that was funny." I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I I'm looking it. at Andy's beard and thinking, "Where the fuck has he got up?" Look at that. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, the gray-haired guy down there in the corner." That's. <laughs> Oh, that man. was great. Oh, man. Congrats to you, Tyler, on the new record. It's fantastic. You have a lot to be proud sure of. Continued success to you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, man, this was so fun, you guys. What a great, what a great conversation, and I, I really appreciate you guys uh, having me on the show. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. (laughs) My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. 
From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.